Santos is out. Donald Trump remains. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. So it finally happened. Now that the House GOP is done using the flagrant fraud from Long Island to cling on to their tenuous grip of power, the disgraced George Anthony DeVolder Santos has been expelled from Congress. Conning his way into Congress, followed by credible accusations of elder abuse, money laundering, identity theft, and stealing funds from a veteran and his dying dog, just to name a few, weren't enough for GOP leadership to demand his resignation long ago. But honestly, who was surprised? George Santos, after all, is nothing more than a mini Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who stiffed countless contractors, violated countless women, defrauded banks and insurance companies, called for the execution of innocent young black men, praises dictators and terrorists, wants to terminate the Constitution, and attempted a coup of American democracy. We're still waiting for the GOP to, de to demand his expulsion from the party, the same members who today had the audacity to say they can't tolerate someone who lies and steals in their ranks. Don't hold your breath. Last night, the disease that has become the Republican Party was brilliant, brilliantly exposed by California Governor Gavin Newsom, who handily took on both Sean Hannity and the failing bobblehead fascist otherwise known as Ron DeSantis. Newsom isn't running in 2024. Obviously, Joe Biden is the candidate but he sure as hell highlights the caliber of future candidates in the Democratic Party in contrast with the Republican field of cowards, cons, and losers. Fox News should really host more of these debates. And did you hear the story of the latest Trump NDA? In the wake of my sweeping defeat of these illegal gags, another woman is coming forward to take her voice back, this time after a then little known Alina Haba brokered an illegal Trump NDA to silence misconduct allegations at his golf course at Bedminster. We'll definitely tell you all about that. And we're on a little bit of a legal AF marathon here on Lights On. Last week we had Michael Popak, and now it's my great pleasure to welcome back former prosecutor Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Karen, so great to see you again. Hi, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How have you been? Oh, you know, it's hard to keep up with all the things that are going on, right? It's, we have to read so many court decisions, watch, I'm watching hearings. Today I was watching uh, Judge Scott McAfee had a, a hearing in Georgia. I was watching that while reading a big decision that came down, all just to keep up with this stuff so that we can be prepped all the time for- All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's a uh, it's a constant like delving into the details, and then what I try to do all the time is step back and just remind ourselves of the fact that this is not normal. It's not okay. It's not okay that we have the leader of one of our two major parties who is a um, you know flagrant cr criminal, and the majority of his party defends him. Yeah. No. It's it's it's. Um... It's it's surprising, it's shocking, and sometimes it's otherworldly the situation we're in, right? That we just sometimes it's it's the truth doesn't seem to resonate with certain people, and that's what I don't understand. You know, people who it's okay to disagree about something, but at least let's all talk about the same set of facts, right? That that's what I don't understand is the just pure blatant acceptance of lies. That that's that's what I find really confusing. 
Yeah, it is. Um, it's really kind of this deal with the devil that the Republican Party has has made. I feel like all of these stories converge. We have this Santos story. Um, obviously, Karen, you know, this week there, uh, Hunter Biden, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but Hunter Biden, um, you know, really gave Republicans an opportunity, said, you want me to testify? I'll testify publicly. Um, they, of course, don't want that, a lot of them, because they want to uh, control the narrative from behind closed doors. Um, but this obviously is not a party about transparency, about rule of law. Um, Mike Johnson, of all people, who um, is really all in on this allegiance to who who uh, Liz Cheney has revealed this week from her upcoming book, the Republicans refer to as Orange Jesus. Um, and he came out this week, and if we can just play this clip, had this, uh, you know, outrageous claim that, that his party stands for the rule of law. I'm a lawyer. I'm a constitutional law attorney. I served on President Trump's impeachment defense team twice. And we lamented openly and we decried how the Democrats politicized that process. They were brazenly political and how they, they brought those uh, meritless impeachment charges against the, the president. This, what you're seeing here, is exactly the opposite. We are the rule of law team. The Republican Party stands for the rule of law. Yeah. It's extraordinary, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's sad. I mean, to me, it's sad because the olden days of, you know, reaching across the aisle and again, having just disagreements about facts or philosophies that just is gone. The civility is gone. The truth is gone. And, you know, look, it's one thing. Politics has always been somewhat dirty or ugly or, you know, whatever, whatever word you want to say. Um, but what, what the thing I struggle with the most is, is there are people I love who are very close to me who uh, are also Republic, not just Republicans, but support Trump. And that's what is hard for me. They have no reason to support, you know, and make a deal with the devil, right? These are just people who believe his, his lies and have decided to go along with what he's saying and support him. That, that's the thing that I struggle with. Yeah, I um I have this clip that I had had actually for a couple shows back, but I'm going to play it at the end of this episode from someone who um tells a, basically a very personal story about he why he would never support Trump and obviously Karen, you know that's what I have tried to do with my story and this show is really um bring out the harm that Donald Trump does not only to his perceived enemies, but ultimately to his supporters themselves. He is harmful to the very people that think he is their guy. Um, and nobody, nobody should be buying into this con. Um, and, and the leaders, the so-called leaders of the GOP who do not distance and denounce this man for their own political preservation are shameful, um, non-leaders, uh, that, that, um, you know, are just such a, such a uh, disappointment to what is needed to wake people up, to show people the way out of this darkness. And as you described this like inexplicable phenomenon that we have where so, so many people still support him. Yeah, no, it's, it's what my husband says to me all the time is we have to figure out exactly why that that's uh, equally as important because, you, you know, there's something in our country that almost half the country is falling for, and they're looking for something that they're not getting with the Democratic Party. And somehow whatever he's 
the things he's doing and spewing and saying is tapping into whatever it is that that they're looking for. And I think until we can figure out what that is and address that head on and maybe even somehow attract them back, you know, at least this, the ones that aren't ultra, ultra MAGA as Lauren, Lauren Boebert said this week, um, you know, that, that would be that, I think that's the key here. So. Yeah, I think the more we, um, I, I am definitely a firm believer that um, that extraction and that waking up of people is possible. It happens every single time there is a truthful ex exposition of um, whether it's Donald Trump's criminality or his civil fraud, you know, anything that really um, brings the truth to light. People say you can't move people from this cult. I do not believe that. I'm living proof that you can. Um, and and I'm also, you know, kind of sadly living proof that, you know, reasonable people, unfortunately, and it and it's it shocks me too at this point with all that we've seen as a country, but there are still people who we otherwise would think of reasonable who are falling for this. Um, but speaking of trying to hide the truth, um, Karen, I know you you uh, got up to date on this this latest Trump NDA case. Um, this this hap happens to or this has to do with a woman named Alice Bianco, who was a server at Bedminster um, back in 2021. And she claims or she claimed at the time I is maintaining those claims, of course, that she was forced into a sexual quid, quid pro quo by her boss at Bedminster. And um, she had gotten to know Alina Hava who at the time was unknown, um, largely on, on the national scene, and was just a frequent guest of Bedminster. And um, her allegation is that Alina Haba kind of, um, kind of, uh, what's the word, I'm, I'm, the word is escaping me. Um, Pressured? Yes, there you go. Groom, like groomed her into this friendship to kind of silence her and ended up from what I read out of the documents of the lawsuit, it appears that she got somewhere in the range of $15,000, like a paltry sum of money um, in exchange for si signing this NDA um, that says, of course, that she cannot, you know, expose these allegations publicly ever. And that if she does, there will be a thousand dollar a day fine for violating it. And on top of that, and here's the real clincher, and I think why the lawsuit was brought, um, is because in 2019, the state of New Jersey, and I'm very familiar with this because I was following it when I was fighting my own battle. Um, in 2019, the state of New Jersey passed a law saying that you cannot have NDAs in the case of workplace harassment. And so um, she has filed suit to basically just get her voice back. Interesting. Yeah, good Good for her. You know, good for her for doing that. Yeah, Alina Haba is kind of surprising. You know, she was a lawyer that, frankly, um, nobody had really ever heard of. She doesn't seem to have a ton of experience. And um, she's really decided to hitch her wagon to Donald Trump and make this her her kind of, I don't know what you call it, but now everyone's heard of her and talked about her. And I guess that's more important than attorney ethics and the truth, et cetera. So, you know, she's, she's representing him in the civil fraud case in New York. She's, um, you know, been uh, cross-examining witnesses and, and, and putting on witnesses. So she's fully, fully entrenched in the Trump legal world for sure. At one point I thought she was, 
just going to be a spokesperson and no longer a lawyer because because yeah. we never actually heard her talk in court through the E. Jean trial or <laughs> for a long time, right? But I guess I guess I guess she's been promoted or demoted. I'm not really sure which one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah no, I think it, it seems no, it, like. Clear she's been doing his bidding for a long time is all I'm trying to yeah. say, given, given what you just described, right? Yeah. yeah, it sounds, I mean, from what I know about Trump world, um, that sounds like a pretty uh, credible narrative that that um, Alice Bianco has told in her lawsuit, which is that Alina Hava basically was brokering this NDA to get on Trump's good side and to rise in his ranks. And, um, you know, like we're discussing, she was unknown before this. And now before you know it, she's representing him in these very high profile cases. Um, and, you know, she was just some low level attorney from Bedminster, New Jersey. I think the lawsuit shows that her office is literally like a few miles down the street. Um, yeah, no, she's, this is, you know, Trump is her meal ticket, I guess. At least that's exactly. how she's always seen it. So exactly. And how many people are, I think that is a kind of a one example of many people that see Donald Trump as their meal ticket. Um, I most certainly encountered a lot of people like that, um, who are just, you know, they see it as a way for their own, their own fame, their own rise, um, ethics, morals, <laughs> law can just go out the window. This is a, oh, but a so many of stardom they think for themselves. Yeah. But, but, you know, you gotta be careful. So many of his attorneys have ended up either disbarred indicted. or indicted. Yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. The lessons are out there plain as daylight for anybody to see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I know we were um, we were talking before we started this recording about the Scott Perry uh, texts that came out. And I know you've been following this, too. Um, these these texts have, were revealed for the first time in court filings this week um, because Scott Perry has been fighting the release of information that was seized from his cell phone. And um, this was actually came out apparently mistakenly on a court docket. They It popped up the um, press got wind of these messages, recorded them, and then the court took it down. But um, some of the texts uh, kind of just go more into revealing how Donald Trump was trying to install Jeffrey Clark as attorney general, um, you know, to do his bidding, to keep him in power. Um, there were these, you know, you've got all of these themes, so many themes of blasphemy. I, you know, Karen is a Christian, I'm, I'm constantly appalled by these this, these invocations of God to do the most unholy works. But uh, Scott Perry texted Jeffrey Clark and said, POTUS seems very happy with your response. I just read it as you dictated. And then Clark responded, I'm praying. This makes me quite nervous. And I wonder if I'm worthy or ready. Uh, you know, this like ridiculous notion that this is some God-ordained mission uh, for Jeffrey Clark to take on. Um, and then and then Perry responds to Clark, POTUS is giving you a presidential security clearance, which like there's no wow. such thing. <laughs> you know, look, the, the two shocking things that come out of that, because we already knew that Jeffrey Clark, who was at the attorney general at the Department of Justice, you know, worked for the attorney general. He was a civil environmental lawyer. He had absolutely no experience that would have allowed him to be rise to the level of of attorney general or, or acting attorney general at that 
point that so every, we already knew that and we knew this whole thing was coming out thank god for the jan 6 committee but what was surprising about what came out with representative scott perry to me was two things number one it shows the extent to which uh, a representative or right, a member of congress was absolutely um in bed with Donald Trump, the president, right? There's supposed to be separation of powers. They're supposed to be, you know, even, even if you're in the same party, they're not supposed to be kind of in cahoots with one another, but it just goes to show how, how much they were in cahoots with one another. But the other thing that really I felt was, uh, was, was surprising about this whole thing was, um, was, you know, just, just Jeffrey Clark's reaction, right? He, how he's, you know, as you just said, how he, it's like, it was like this mission that he was on, this really important, you know, thing that he had to do, because let's think about what the timing was. This wasn't at some point in the administration where he's, you know, thinking of installing someone who's not qualified, but maybe loyal or whatever, you know, you still should never do that. But this is, Trump had already lost the election. He was already, they were already, it's like we were in January already, right? The election was over. He lost all his court battles. We're about to do the the peaceful transfer of, of power, right? We're about to, like, this was like right before January 6th happened. And and we're, we're literally about to, you know, to, to, to do all of this. And, and in January, when he's got less than 20 days left to be president, that's when you're going to put in a different attorney general, acting attorney general, for what? What purpose, if nothing else? I mean, it just shows kind of a corrupt purpose, right? Uh, that that he was going to do that. He wanted someone, he was looking for someone who'd be willing to continue on his criminal conspiracy and to essentially enforce it. And, and that to me, you know, that to me is, and you could just see just Clark's reaction, you know, to to this in that text message, you can see that he really, he was all in, he was all in with this, this mission to steal the election, right? I mean, what else could he be talking about? You know, that when he says, you know, my, am, am I up to the task for, for what to be, to be acting attorney general for three weeks? So what, what are you going to do during that period of time? I don't remember the exact date, you know, that, that they were talking about this, but it was around that time. And, and, you know, what, what are you going to do? That's so important, right? That, that, hopefully you're up to the task. I mean, I would assume that a regular attorney general during those three weeks, barring some emergency, isn't really doing much other than figuring out how to pack up his plaques and his challenge coins and whatever else he has for the next administration, right? I mean, not much is going on then. So just the whole, I hope I'm up to the task and whatever, to me, it just really shows that they, they had some big plans and the big plans were going to be to try to steal an election from the American people. Yeah, what you were saying about, you know, just that overt, and we know this about the Trump administration, I think sometimes we forget how overtly um, Donald Trump interfered with the Justice Department. And up until this very, you know, last Hail Mary to, you know, become very personally involved with trying to appoint an attorney general who would help him uh, stage a coup. Um, but, you know, you contrast that with Joe Biden, who has been so hands off with the DOJ um, in this administration and, and yet is constantly attacked by Republicans as this being a Biden DOJ or Biden prosecution or Biden prosecuting his political enemies when it could not be further from the truth. I think so many of us wish that there had been action sooner and maybe even, you know, wanted Biden to speak out more about this, but he has been so, um, you know, worked so incessantly to keep his hands clean and separate 
uh, from anything that the Justice Department is doing up and up to and including, you know, their their prosecution of his own son. I mean, there could not be a clearer distinction about the proper handling of the Justice Department um, under Joe Biden versus the uh, complete um, weaponization and personal use of what is supposed to be the people's justice department under Donald Trump. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's really upsetting and, and really, um, you know, we'll see Jeffrey Clark's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, and I know another thing you've been very closely, uh, very closely following and have been very outspoken about, and I've read your, um, your op-eds that you've written um, are these gag orders. And of course this week, um, just yesterday, the New York First Department, which I know very well, that is the same appeals court in New York State that overturned my illegal um, arbitration award that was holding an illegal $50,000 judgment over my head for violating Trump's NDA. Um, that First Department reinstated the Trump gag order in the civil fraud case. Um, Trump once again is uh, barred from making comments about Judge Ngoron's clerk. Um, that gag order, of course, uh, Ngoron had extended to the council as well to not comment on communications between the judge and his clerk. Um, Karen, I definitely know want to know your thoughts on this. Yeah, so so what would happen was uh, Judge Ngoron um, issued two very limited gag orders. One to the defendants that they couldn't say anything bad about his court staff, and the other to the lawyers saying they couldn't say anything. Uh, they couldn't say anything um, about the court staff either. You know, he said, "Look, you can say anything you want about me. You can say anything you want about the attorney general. Uh, it's really just about the court staff. That these are public servants, and you know, your actions cause all sorts of consequences, like." and it causes third parties to to threaten and harass and intimidate, et cetera. And uh, that gag order was in effect. He Trump violated it twice. And I think I think the first time he was fined five thousand dollars and the second time ten thousand um, dollars. and then the then Trump went to the appellate division first department, which is the interim level appellate court in New York. Uh, and and one judge, Judge Friedman, um, stayed the gag order while the appeal was pending. So what they said was essentially, we want to appeal this ruling. We think our First Amendment rights are being violated. We don't want it. We think that we shouldn't be under a gag order. So we want to appeal, but we need time to file file our briefs, et cetera. So during that time, because we think that there's a chance, a likelihood that we're going to win on the merits, we'd like you to to stay the gag order, meaning it, it's, it cannot go into effect. There is no gag order while we appeal it, which has the effect of essentially removing the gag order and he can say whatever he wants. And this one judge uh, did that. And um, and so it was stayed for about I think two weeks or a couple of weeks, and uh, and also during that time, right before that, the federal gag order was stayed at the same same exact thing. Judge Chutkin issued a gag order, more broad. It was more than just about the court staff. It was about witnesses, et cetera. And uh, she put it in a gag order and the DC circuit stayed that gag order too, right? So right now that gag order is on pause. So I wasn't surprised that an appellate 
an interim appellate ruling would be okay. We're going to pause ours too. I don't. I don't think a state court is going to uh, do something different than a federal court in the exact same posture. So, so that's what happened. But then, what just happened was uh, was three other judges of the appellate division, first department, um, reviewed the stay, this interim stay and said, no, we're not going to um, allow it to, we're, we're gonna lift the stay, allow the appeal to continue, but in the interim, he can't, he's going to be gagged. So the gag order is back in place, even though it's, you know, it's, it hasn't been ruled on yet that it's constitutional, but during the pendency of the trial, the court said it's okay for, the, for them to be gagged. So it's, there we are. <laughs> Yeah, there we are. Um, uh, you know, some basic equal treatment for Donald Trump. And I want to get more thoughts on this from you because this is a big sticking point for me. But let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Heart healthy energy is so important in order for me to keep my energy up. We could all benefit from heart healthy energy. One of the best ways to get some? By supporting your blood pressure and circulation. Superbeats Heart Shoes are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure. They're plant-based and stimulant-free, so you can get green boost without the jitters. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. Now, I love taking my Super Beats heart shoes because they make me feel amazing. And I feel so good knowing that I'm doing something good for myself every day. Now, I take my Super Beats heart shoes every morning to kickstart my day, and I couldn't think of a better daily routine. Superbeats is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended heart shoe for cardiovascular health support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Superbeats heart shoes also support healthy circulation, so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive heart healthy energy without the crash. Double your potential with Superbeats heart shoes. Get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats heart shoes and a free full-size bag of turmeric shoes valued at $25 by going to lightsonbeats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at lightsonbeats.com. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so um, as I mentioned, like if you listened to my open last week, this was all, I mean, this is like a hot topic for me incessantly because I, I am sick and tired, Karen, of Donald Trump being treated with kid gloves. Um, I was, you know, I was just listening to some commentary the other day about the Mar-a-Lago case and how, how much deference the Department of Justice, how much patience they had with him leading up to um, to the search of Mar-a-Lago, you know, how many opportunities he, he was given. If he was anyone else, he would have been arrested well belong that, or b before that. You know, if he was anybody else, he would be in pretrial detention for all of these threats that he's made against witnesses, against judges, judges, staffs, prosecutors, you know, you name it. I mean, I, I actually think, and Goran has kind of been very forward on this, but this is not, this is the civil case. So, you know, I think it's more important kind of in this criminal cases. Shouldn't Donald Trump, I mean, let's just forget that he's freaking Donald Trump and just any, any man from Long Island or Queens or wherever, you know, moving into a, um, you know, golden adorned uh, building in New York City, um, Shouldn't any man who has done what he has done under the criminal indictments that he is under be 
either subjected to very strict gag orders at this point or already be incarcerated for having violated them. Look, it's it's complicated because he's also running for office, right? And he has to, he has a right to respond to if you know his his opponents are going to say things and accuse him of things, right? And talk about the indictments. And so it's going to, it's hard to say he is not allowed to respond and talk about it. So I understand why the courts are trying to be careful and still allow him as a candidate for the highest office in the land. I mean, in our democracy, you know, that you can't, you really have to allow that process to occur. I mean, the entire constitution, you know, the whole purpose behind it, when you read the Federalist Papers, it's all about how it, we live in a democracy and the, and the president, the, the office of the president, it's all, it belongs to the people and the people have a right to vote. And, you know, the, the, whole, the whole foundation of our country has to do with democracy and free speech. And so I completely understand why the judges are being, uh, are being careful of that. At the same time, He's a criminal defendant who is released on his own recognizance, right? In other words, once you're arrested and you're in custody, when you're arrested for a crime and charged with a crime and indicted for a crime, you are in custody. You're in the custody of the police until, or the FBI or whoever until the court lets you out, right? So, so that's what it means to go to a to go to court and have a bail hearing as you go there and, and a judge makes a determination should you be released should you be incarcerated pending the the case while it's going on you know you know not everyone has a right to bail not everyone is even afforded bail not everyone is 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 released and all criminal defendants are released with conditions all it, the conditions could be as low as stay out of trouble and don't get rearrested, right? That that could be one of the conditions, or or the conditions could be you know stay off the internet because you're charged with you know some some kind of internet related crime, or it could be stay away from a particular you know rival gang area. I don't know. Like there's there's so many different conditions. It could be there's an order of protection. You're not allowed to go near a particular person. Or it could be you have to surrender any firearms, right? And that's a second amendment right that you have. And so, you know, so it's not like it's not like um they can't it's not like they can't infringe on your constitutional rights um during these conditions. And so judges do have a right to 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 limit what he can say in order to protect the integrity of the justice system. And when he does things that will create either intimidation or bullying of witnesses, which, you know, that's the one thing that, that they've done a great job at doing is putting in the record what happens when Donald Trump says, you know, the threats that happen immediately after he does something, whether it's, you know, a baseball bat to Alvin Bragg's head, you know, the next day, death threats and white powder shows up at the office, or whether it's what they put record after after he went after the law clerk and judge in Gorin's courtroom, you know, there were 275 single space pages transcribed of all the threats that they are getting to Chambers and on her personal cell phone, right? 20 to 
60 a day and they're racist, they're misogynist, they're uh, homophobic, they're anti-Semitic. I mean, they're all of those things and they're, you know, horrific and some are even death threats, right? And so there's a cause and effect and it impacts the process. And the court has a right to control that and to do something about that. But for some reason, and, and, and to get back to what you were saying before, if this were any other defendant, there's no way no way a judge would put up with this. They, he would have been put in and said, you know what, you can you can wait out the rest of, of your case from behind bars because you, you don't stop, you don't control yourself. And not only that, you escalate it, even you know after being admonished and told right away to stop. He, he just doesn't. He, and, and for whatever reason, he hasn't, you know, no judge is willing to, to, to do that. Yeah, my great hope, Karen, is that those so-called rights, and I just talked a lot about this last week, <clears throat> those so-called rights that he has as a political candidate are secondary. I mean, a far second to his the demands of how he be treated as a criminal defendant, because why on earth is he running for president to avoid criminal accountability? You know, it's his criminal impunity plan, like I always say. And I think, um, you know, I think the courts recognize that. And I think... I, I, you know, as has been my motto with my pursuit legally against Donald Trump, you know, appeasement is not the way you handle a man like this. It's not the way that you control his threats. Um, you know, everything that is in our, I think, you know, everything in our founding documents and our constitution and the first amendment are um, to protect the rights of the people and our access to, you know, free elections and truthful information. Donald Trump is a man who has attacked free elections. We had a free election and he denied us all, tried to deny us all the outcome of that free election. Um, and he's trying to do it again. Uh, accountability, judicial accountability is an indispensable component of democracy. Um, and anything that is hampering that process, I believe, should not be allowed and tolerated. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was another um, another very promising ruling that came out just today, actually, from Protect Democracy, who is the same wonderful uh, legal advocacy group that represents me in the Trump NDA case that we just won. Um, and this is a finding in uh, D.C. Circuit Court um, on in a case that was brought on behalf of Capitol Police officers James Blasingame and Sidney Hemby. Um, they basically found that Trump is not immune. You know, he's trying to make this argument like he always does, presidential immunity, that he is not immune from civil liability for January 6th. Um, one of the things that they said in the ruling is a sitting president, just like the candidates he runs against, is subject to civil damages liability for his actions constituting re-election campaign activity. Um, so this, you know, this is another case that puts him civilly liable for the actions on uh, January 6th. I believe it's in invoking the Ku Klux Klan Act. Um, and, you know, another very good ruling that these these kind of blanket defenses that Donald Trump is trying to use as a shield from accountability are not going to fly. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good ruling for sure. We'll see what it means for this criminal case, because he's asserting presidential immunity there, too. Okay. And Judge Chutkin, you know, she hasn't ruled yet. And, and this particular decision specifically said we're not commenting on whether or not this applies 
to a criminal case. Um, but, it, but it is, a sh it is definitely um, a sh reassuring that the DC circuit, which is the same court that will be uh, reviewing any, anything Judge Chutkin decides. And now this is the law of the circuit. And so Judge Chutkin will also be bound by this. But like I said, it specifically says in there, it doesn't apply to criminal cases, but I think the same logic and reasoning would. And that is that it, you know, that is that um, the, a president is immune from civil liability for civil damages for something that he does in his presidential role or in, in his job duties or things that are even on the fringe and it's called the outer bounds, right? Things that are arguably, um, arguably like they're discretionary. They're not, they're not required by his, by his job. Um, but they said they were very clear that a candidate is very different, you know, a candidate for office, you're no different than the person you're running against and they don't, they don't have immunity. Right. So you were running against Joe Biden and he wouldn't have immunity just because he was formerly a president, right? He was a candidate, you were a candidate and all of the things you were doing was, was as a candidate. And that's not, that that doesn't fall within presidential immunity. So they said that um, what they basically said was so therefore the suit can proceed. It, this was not a finding of liability per se. Per se, it still has to have a trial or or a motion for summary judgment. You know, after discovery. Um, but but this was the motion to dismiss the complaint, and uh, and he was saying you know even if all these things are true in there, it doesn't matter because um, I have a right. I'm immune. And they basically said, no, they rejected that argument. So it's a, it's kind of a, a big, I think a great statement of what the law is. Uh, and we'll see if, if the, the full appellate bench, they, they call it on banc, if they are going to rule or if it'll go just straight to the Supreme court, but we'll see what they do. Mm, interesting. So it's headed to the Supreme court potentially. I think so. Mm. All right. Well, I hope that holds and, yeah, it is just continuously, um, you know, flabbergasting that this man who has violated so many people's rights, um, violated so many laws, uh, claimed that so many people do not have rights when they're up against him. You know, hello, free speech, <laughs> you know, co constantly claiming that he's a victim of free speech while completely denying other people of their free speech rights, um, you know, tries to to claim the shield of immunity in every single way. And um, it's, it's good to see that called out and not tolerated. Um, maybe we can pivot back to what I was talking about in the open, this debate from, uh, Fox news. <laughs> I, I feel like DeSantis must be regretting accepting this, but he was kind of like, you know, what could he do? Say he wasn't going to take, uh, Hannity and Newsom up on this offer. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if you saw it, Karen, but I think he was just made to look like the complete fool that he is. Um, and Newsom, you know, really clobbered him. Maybe we can actually just play what I thought was a really good summary of, of Newsom's attack on not just DeSantis, but really the entire Republican party. And, and, and I want to answer that very directly. I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here, uh, to tell the truth about the Biden Harris record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, not just access to abortion, 
but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So, Sean, there are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging, but there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. <laughs> that was a good singer, huh? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the, it's I, every time I see Gavin Newsom, I just I can't help but think about the fact that he was married to Kimberly Guilfoyle, you know, wild. John Jr.'s current girlfriend or whatever. I, I just, you know, that for whatever reason that I don't know why that is just something. I, <laughs> anyway, I, um, I try not. I try not to. I mean, I, I think she has had um, just, you know, superficial, superficially, physically had like a world of um, difference between who she is uh, now and who she was. Well, Jer Jeremy, our producer, is like, going crazy in the chat going, what? What? What are you talking about? Did you not know this, Jeremy? Oh, we're going to have you know, to. It's, no, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and then you look at pictures of her and honestly, she looks nothing like she looks now. I mean, it's. I don't know. So she clearly has some, you know, love of power or something. Um, I don't know what it is or perceived power, but uh, anyway, but Gavin Newsom, look, you know, he's, he looks good. He's, you know, he's a Democrat. He speaks well, but he's a mixed bag. You know, he is, and he's a thousand times better than Ron DeSantis. That's for sure. But I, you know, I will see if he's going to be some rising star in the democratic party. I'm, I, I personally am not sold that he's the, the best we have, you know, he's, there's a few things. First of all, he, California has really changed and not for the better under his leadership. You know, I'm, I'm originally from California, believe it or not. And oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was I born and raised there and I grew up there and I went to UCLA undergrad and I wow. moved away a long time ago. So, but I, I did still not know this. Yes, yeah, so I have a lot of friends from, there. You're a lot from of Los Angeles? I'm from LA, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, are, I did not know this. Are you from LA? <laughs> I'm in LA. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is, California is my second home. I'm from Virginia, but California is my second home. Yeah, no, I was lived there my whole life. Well, my whole childhood. And, um, and I go back a lot and it's not, you know, I totally agree. LA has definitely changed. Not for the better. And yeah. neither has San Francisco. And, you know, a lot of people are fleeing to Florida. I hate to say it, because of the well, fact Newsom actually fact checked he fact checked some of those uh some of those reports on um well i'm talking about my family oh, your <laughs> i'm talking family. about <laughs> i'm talking about my family like i'm not okay. even talking about statistics like um it you go to you anyway i just think that you you talk to people who live in california people who were democrats and are democrats mm -hmm. and i just you know i'm not sure they love gavin newsom as much as um as much as 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 people think. And anyway, maybe I'm not supposed to say this, and maybe this is not. But <laughs> I, I personally just I wonder whether he's the best we have. You know. Well, I, listen, yeah. I have some family members who share your sentiments, your family members' sentiments about California. Um, and California gets a lot of hate, 
but this this is one of um you know the most populated states in the country there are so many you know in defense of california i think there are so many um challenges that face california in particular because i think as something as simple as the good weather how many people flock here because of the good weather um that um and you know just the natural beauty and the resources the beaches the mountains everything that that uh, California has a lot to deal with that other states um, do not have to deal with. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I agree with you on that. I mean, Florida has the good weather. Florida has yeah. people flocking there, and you don't have, you know, you, you you don't have the housing crisis, the homeless, mentally ill crisis. You know, I honestly don't you though. Don't you, you drive, maybe on a different scale? Not at all scale. like California. And I I drive around LA and I see the homeless encampments that have never that weren't there before. They weren't and, there before, but in and to, those are those are LA's huge. credit, they have decreased. I mean, they're not as bad as they were at the height. Maybe. They're not as bad as they I were. don't know. I, I look at that and, and those are human beings in there. Yeah, they are. And, no, and it's a it's a failure. You know what? I really see that not only as a fail. I mean, it is such a complicated. I didn't expect to go here at all, Karen. <laughs> but it is such a complicated issue to handle. And when I, I'll be honest with you, when I drive past these homeless encampments, I see them as a failure of community, not just a failure of government, because. Um, it takes more, I think, than government to handle these situations. And I, I, I'm disgusted by it, too. I mean, I think, you know, I kind of like a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with Los Angeles. Um, I don't hate Los you, Angeles. I love it. Yeah, I and love I, don't, I actually don't hate it either. But, I, you know, you, you love certain parts and then you're, you know, other parts are very um, unsettling and and sad. And I think going back to my first ever visits and, and moving to Los Angeles, I was struck by, and this is years ago, I was struck by the contrast of great wealth and then great poverty right next to each other. That's true. And, you know, people, people would used to say to me, um, you know, LA is a melting pot. And I remember somebody once said, it's not, it's not a melting pot. It's like a stir fry <laughs> because there's, there's not kind of that sense of community and support that you have in a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. um, and so I see, you know, when I go back past this, um, you know, this poverty and this, you know, sad, sad state of homelessness and mental illness, I think, you know, this is, this is kind of a failure too of the community that's living right next door, you know, the great wealth that's right down the street from these tents that are under the freeway. And this, this is in Washington, DC, for goodness sakes. I mean, the tent cities are, are, are in so many places. Um, and just a failure of the community to get involved and say, you know, let's help out our brother man get out of this situation because is it only a government solution that's going to answer all this? I don't know, but but you know, as far as fleeing to Florida, I would there's be. A, I got to tell you, I mean, there are some beautiful, this. there are some Not beautiful parts of Florida, but I would be scared as scared to death to be a citizen in that fascist state right now with what with what Ron DeSantis has done to attack. Yeah, Ron DeSantis, I think in some ways is scarier than Donald Trump. I mean, I, I say that barely because that's, you know, it's it's like who's worse, you know, Hitler or Mussolini, like or, you know, I, you know, yeah. it's hard. To, it's hard for me to um, to compare them. But the reason I slightly lean towards Ron DeSantis being scarier, Trump is scarier and worse because of all his followers and the power he yields and how he can do no wrong and nothing he does, you know, in any way impacts him. But 
but in some ways, Ron DeSantis scares me more because he's he he's smarter. You know, Trump isn't that smart. And, you know, Ron DeSantis, I think, could do a lot of damage to this country. And I think, you know, to, to even and, and what I don't like about the fact that Gavin Newsom debated him is in some ways it's it's elevating him and making him equal and somehow, you know, making him worthy of a debate. Like, like he's just, you know, I, but I guess Gavin Newsom has to do that to get to where he wants to go. But um, but they're not equal, right? Like Gavin Newsom, I might, I'm just saying, I, I just, I like him. I would, I don't, I don't dislike him, I should say. I would vote for him if he was the, you know, Democratic nominee, especially against DeSantis or Trump or any of these other individuals who are, who, who the MAGA Republicans seem to be, um, seem to be uh, in love with. I just don't know that he's the best we have, that's all. And I'm just looking to the future of the party, you know, and, and I do think he looks the part, but I, I wonder whether he's the best we have is, is all I was asking. What, yeah, what I do think is I, I think he's a very good messenger for in particular for the Biden, the accomplishments of the Biden administration. You know, he's an excellent, excellent surrogate for, I think, for the Democrats in 2024. Um, and, you know, I I happen to think, I don't think he really needed to do that. Maybe he was trying to raise his own profile and we shouldn't give him too much credit for not, you know, for doing it for other reasons. But um, I think it was a good thing to have on Fox. I think it was a good thing to show Fox viewers. I mean, we started off this conversation talking about trying to move people out of this quagmire of deceit and misinformation. And I think he gave the Fox viewers a lot of facts, kind of like Pete Buttigieg does when he goes on Fox News. You know, he he gives it to him. He I love Pete. See, there's someone I, I love. Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> like to me, he's yeah. great. And I would he's love her. He's the best. Like that's yeah. that's to me somebody who I wish, you know, would have been. I wish he'd be the future, you know, real future. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I think that there's, I mean, there's so many stars in the Democratic Party from Josh Shapiro to, um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer to, you just look across the country and that's kind of what I was hinting to in the open, the caliber of yeah. candidates and people already in, you know, positions of public office in the Democratic Party versus, you know, George Santos, Lauren Boebert, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, this is, these are our choices. James oh. Comer, Jim Jordan. Man. I mean, the for God's Marjorie, sake. The fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, the fact that we even know their names, that they have the power that they have, that they have the I know, that's why I don't say them very often on this show, because it's I don't want to give them any more oxygen than... Yeah. Like how, yeah. how did we get here as a society? You know, that these, yeah. in, that these people who, you know, they're not even... I mean, they're like a caricature, right? They're they're horrendous. Yeah, I don't understand. It's I, I don't understand actually how how they have the appeal that they have. It's yeah. it's very sad. I mean, like I think it just goes to the overall cult following and how they have created this kind of just you know bizarre community that people feel like they're part of by being engaged with them and. It's tragic. You know, there is a way to belong and feel loved and have purpose in your life with legitimate causes. You do not have to fall behind people like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's interesting because we used to respect our politicians, right? We used to, yeah. you know, revere them, respect them, look up to them, you know, and now it's just, we've got George Santos. We've got, you know, thank God the, thank God the house finally kicked him out today. 
you know, that was incredible and long overdue. Um, but, you know, you've just got these these people who are, are just not, you know, of course, Trump, you know, and you've got so many individuals in office who you just can't really look up to them, you know? Yeah, who you can't look up to and who are like, you know, just stripping away Americans' rights. Um, that one thing that I liked about that debate is that Gavin Newsom brought out, you know, the this political theater with migrants, the attacks on the LGBTQ+, the book bans, the um, how, you know, Democrats are really better on the economy and crime despite the constant gaslighting to the, op you know, saying the opposite. Um, and, you know, the attacks on abortion uh, rights, which is brings to mind um, a very uh, trailblazing woman who just passed away, Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, she just passed away today at the age of 93. She, of course, was the first female justice of the Supreme Court. She was the deciding vote on so many important cases, including affirmative action and very notably Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was completely wiped away with Dobbs. Um, you know, Karen, I don't think we can, I think the abortion issue alone um, is indicative of, of the kind of assaults that we're facing from this party. Yeah, it's, you know, yes, she was a trailblazing woman for sure. She was incredible. And it's a huge, huge loss. You know, I was I was talking to some someone uh, today about it. And, you know, she was a politician before she was a, um, you know, before she was a Supreme Court justice, in addition to being the first woman. And, um, and if she they, they were talking about how there were so many decisions that would have gone the other way had she not retired when she retired and that the world would have been different if she hadn't retired when she retired. So it's incredible. She's an incredible woman. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need that female leadership in, in those positions, making important decisions. It makes all the difference in the world. Um, and <laughs> we should we should continue to advocate and fight for more of that. I think our our world will be in it would be a, such a different place with more of that feminine um, guidance uh, behind women our like walls. her, not like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren. No, <laughs> no. Well, that's like a that's like a women undermining other women, which I think too many of us have. <laughs> also experience. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a whole other, a whole other topic. Whole other topic. Day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you've got on one hand, you've got Sandra Day O'Connor, who we lost this week. On the another hand, wrap up really quick. I just wanted to mention um, Henry Kissinger, because I've um, certainly become more educated about his past. And he, of course, was lauded for um, a lot of uh, diplomacy for reopening uh, relations with China, for pursuing a detente with the Soviet Union. Um, but he also has this very, very bloody legacy, um, is known to be responsible for so many, I mean, hundreds of thousands of civilian deaths in places like Cambodia and Pakistan, Chile, um, East Timor, uh, Argentina. Um, you know, I couldn't help we only have a couple minutes, so we don't have to go too deep into this, but I couldn't help um, but catch a comparison of him with Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who I think is a very corrupt leader and has not prioritized Israeli security over um, 
this kind of mass slaughter of Gazans, which has been so devastating to watch. And this uh, piece that I read said, Netanyahu has taken a page out of the Kissinger playbook, using end-ending conflict to cling to power and inviting ever more extremist politicians into his coalition. Um, and then it spoke about an affectionate meeting they had just weeks before uh, that atrocious attack on October 7th. Um, you know, we have choices to make in this world and we can we can continue to accept, I think, these um, inhumane reactions for um, for power that de devastate so many people or we can pursue, um, you know, lasting peace and and diplomacy that does not involve mass slaughter. Look, it's a very, very complex issue, yeah. right? That um, I think we can't do in the last three minutes. It's just very, no, that's a very, very complex <laughs> for sure. We also lost Rosalind Carter this week, speaking of just going through the- oh, last week, yeah, we talked yeah. about her last yeah. week, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess your funeral was was this week, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's- and, Beautiful and, woman. Yeah. yeah, beautiful woman. So yeah, we're losing a lot of, of people who, you know, are, are very, very important, you know, in our, in our, in our history. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, as I promised, because, um, you know, I don't want us to lose sight of the fraud that is Donald Trump and, you know, we can celebrate the expulsion of George Santos, but, um, it remains abhorrent that this, uh, other, flagrant fraud um, is, is still at the forefront of our politics. And there's this video, Karen, that I've kind of been saving in my pocket um, from, I think it might even be, I don't know, a year or more old, but it's just this man talking about why he could never support Donald Trump. And here's just a real personal story in case anybody's, you know, still weighing their options. <laughs> so somebody asked me yesterday if I ever gave Donald Trump a chance and I said, no, but you have to understand why. The reason why I didn't give Donald Trump a chance is because I own a company that works with a lot of contractors, do estimates and whatnot for contractors, a lot of other support for other folks in the industry, but that's enough said. Anyway, what happened was uh, a buddy of mine that was a contractor up in New Jersey called me up one day and said, Hey man, uh, I got this opportunity to do this business with Trump and it's just, it's huge. And I, I, I think I'm going to do it. And I said, well, I, I get that you're going to do it, but it, it might be in your best interest to think that through because you know, the honest truth is that dog bites. And he said, yeah, I understand, but I mean, I'm gonna write a tight contract and blah, 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 you know? So he, he takes the gig. And he tells me later, he's having a little bit of problems getting, getting, uh, getting paid. Fast forward three and a half years. He still hasn't been paid his $3.5 million. He's been worn down pretty awfully. And Trump's attorneys said that they would pay him $1.2 million. And that was it. He 
took the $1.2 million. The day that that showed up as certified funds, he took the title to every truck he owned. He owned a pretty decent sized company. He took a bill of sale for a bunch of other equipment, generators, arc welders, all kinds of stuff. Ladders, you name it, jib crane. He went to another place and he sold all of that and walked out with certified funds. He went to the bank. He deposited those funds into the bank. Then he gave a list of amounts and people and companies that he needed to cut checks to. And they cut certified funds to all those individuals. He took those checks, he went down to the post office, he individually sent every one of them out in the by express mail. And then he went home and he blew his brains out. He blew his brains out because Donald Trump decided to take advantage of the little guy. And he couldn't handle the failure. Fast forward a couple of years later, a friend of mine who is a professional photographer pick up, picked up a job for $120,000 from Trump to take pictures of his property. Three months after it was done, he couldn't get paid. He ended up have, having to file a lawsuit and only after the lawsuit was he paid. He still had to spend about $12,000 in legal fees, so he pretty much had to a pretty big haircut. And another friend I have down in Boca had a father who was in the dry cleaning business. And years ago, he did dry cleaning work for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump never paid him. And he just about lost his business. And he did lose his spirit. And he was never the same. So when you ask me if I'm ever gonna give Donald Trump a fair shake, no, because he didn't give anybody else a fair shake. How many stories of that, like that are out there, Karen? Yeah, no, it's sad. Those things are really sad, you know? How did you, who is, who's is this nice gentleman who agreed to talk? He just popped up on, uh, on my, my Twitter feed, but that's a TikTok video. I, I don't actually know his name, but, um, you know, how many of these stories are out there of, of people who, whose lives have been destroyed? Um, that one story about the man committing suicide. I mean, this is the effect that Donald Trump has had on people. He tries to act like he's, you know, he has victimless crimes. Hell no, hell no. Um, sick, sick man who has harmed a lot of people. It's very sad. Yeah. All right, well, Karen. <laughs> for sharing that. It's really powerful. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think it is. The more we can hear these stories, the more we can wake people up. Uh, Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, as always a pleasure. You bring a spirited, 
spirited debate to lights on, unexpected conversations. I love it. Yeah, that's the thing about me. You're always going to get the truth, right? You know, I'm not, not going to, you know, you're really going to get the truth, even if right. it's not popular, yeah. even if it's what people don't want to hear. And I don't, you know, I, I really am, I think for myself kind of person, you know? Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm glad that you do that. And uh, <laughs> it's an excellent quality. So thank you very much. Um, and thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Lights On. Um, as, as always, if you would like to support my legal battle, we need your support. We're actually coming up to the end of the year and balancing out those accounts and those expenses. And um, you can support that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. It means the world to me. Also, um, if you want to support this show, please go to Lights On with Jessica Denson wherever you get your audio podcasts and subscribe and perhaps leave a review. We would love that. You can also subscribe to my personal YouTube channel at Jessica Denson where I will always post this show in case you're having a hard time finding it. You can always find it at the Jessica Denson YouTube um, as well as other content that I post there. Thank you, everybody. As always, have a wonderful weekend and let your light shine.